So this morning, well, I'm glad you could join us. We're going to continue our series in the book of Ephesians. Um, now, it's been a little while. Uh, this kind of happens when we do a series. Uh, it's been about a month since we've actually been in the book of Ephesians. We went through chapter 1, and we're going to start in chapter 2 today. Uh, in the book of Ephesians, in particular chapter 2, the first 10 verses, which is what we're going to begin with today, um, those 10 verses really particularly look at grace. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. I've entitled my sermon this morning, uh, The Place Where We Got Grace. Now I know that's not grammatically correct, and I'll do a few of those during the, the sermon, but The Place Where We Got Grace. We just sang Amazing Grace. That's a little bit different rendition maybe than you've heard before. But Amazing Grace is such a powerful song that even when people who don't know God hear it, they get choked up. They, they tear up. It is actually one of the most reproduced Christian songs ever written. I believe I read someplace that it is the most popular re-recorded Christian song in history. Different artists, different venues, different, different um, genres of music. So I heard a story the other day about a preacher. He was a rather distinguished preacher in his community. He and a couple of his leaders from his congregation went to a, a leadership meeting a couple of cities away. And when they got done with their meeting at the end of the evening, it was a little bit late. And so these guys decided they were, they were hungry. As they headed back to the hotel, they were going to stop and grab a bite to eat. But the only place that was open was this seedy little bar and grill. They decided they should go in anyhow. And uh, they placed their order. And after they got the order, one of the guys asked the pastor, would you like to pray over the food before we eat it? And the preacher's response was, I'd rather not because I don't want him to know where we're at. You see, the preacher didn't want to say grace because of where he was. Paul, by contrast, tells the church in Ephesus that we get grace in spite of where we was. Again, grammar, I know. He was afraid to say grace because of where he was. We get grace in spite of where we was, in spite of where we've been, in spite of what you've done. As a matter of fact, right in the middle of where you're at, right in the middle of where the dirt is, right in the middle of where the junk is, God dispenses grace. We don't have to worry about getting all cleaned up in order to get grace. You see, God meets us right where we're at. According to Ephesians, God tells us that we became, that before we became Christians, we were dead in our transgressions and in our sins. We lived in the wrong place. We followed the wrong leader. And as a result of that, we were by nature, our very nature, because we lived in the wrong place, we did the wrong things, we, we followed the wrong leader. Because of that, our very nature... Uh, was wrong and we were objects of God's wrath. That's what we were, you and I, each one of us. That's not a place where you say grace, but that's a place where you get grace. I want to show you a, a short video this morning. It's a brief summary about a pastor whose name was John Newton. He was a preacher. As a matter of fact, he was the preacher that wrote, wrote Amazing Grace. Let's show that video, please.
The place was Olney, England, a small country town 60 miles north of London. The 47-year-old pastor, a former slave ship captain by the name of John Newton, needed a song for his New Year's Day service. Reverend Newton had already chosen the scripture for his sermon from 1 Chronicles 17, where King David looks back on his life and asks God with wonder, Who am I that thou hast brought me here? And he said to his congregation on that Friday morning, 1st of January, 1773, the Lord gives us many blessings, but unless we are grateful for these, we lose much of the comfort from them. So he said, well, never mind, David, now, what about you and me? When you look back, where were you when the Lord found you? And for himself, he says, I was a wretch. The first word of the hymn, grace. No, not just grace, amazing grace. Yes, that sounded right. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. He loved to learn from his mother and he could um, recite passages of scripture and all of Isaac Watts' hymns. But when his mother died, his father was away at sea for a year when he came back, he married quite quickly to a young Italian lady and they went to live in Essex. They had a child and Newton really got pushed aside. As a crew member on several slave ships, he helped scour the African coast in search of human cargo. Even the young Newton was thrown into chains once and forced to work as a slave himself on a small island off the coast of Sierra Leone. Eventually released from his captivity after about a year, the great blasphemer, as he called himself, went to a life so depraved that even his rough shipmates found it shocking. What a wretched life I lived and was saved from, he thought. Yes, put that in, that saved a wretch like me. How far I was from God and the life he intended for me. I once was lost. From time to time, Newton would make some attempts to get back to the faith that his mother had brought him up in. He would have times of prayer, he would even have times of fasting, but it, it was like a yo-yo, really. He was up and down all the time. He had no companion to help him, and he certainly didn't seek out any. Finally, on March 21st, 1748, Newton experienced what he would call his great turning day. In the middle of the night, the 22-year-old was awakened by a violent storm. Cries from his crewmates on deck sounded the alarm. Their ship, the Greyhound, was about to sink. As Newton scrabbled up the ladder to the deck, the man directly above him was hit by a wave, swept overboard, and never seen again. Finally making it to the wheel, the great blasphemer raised his voice not to curse God, but to pray. In words he had not used for many years, John Newton pleaded, Lord, have mercy on us. Hour after hour, sustained only by his call upon God's mercy, Newton attempted to steer the battered ship through the violent seas as down below, the crew sought desperately to stop the holes with bedding and strips of clothing. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. For 11 hours, as the storm raged, Newton remained at the ship's wheel, not knowing if he would live or die. Gradually, the winds lessened and the storm began to calm. 
Newton's desperate prayer for God's mercy had been answered. And grace, my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. For the rest of his life, Newton would mark each March 21st with a day of humiliation, prayer, and praise for his great deliverance from the sea and the life of sin he had been living. Newton's dramatic conversion set him on a long, winding path that would take him towards a new life, not in one great leap, but step by step. Performed by popular musicians as well as pipes and drums, Amazing Grace has become one of the most beloved melodies in history. It was sung by freedom marchers and civil rights movements in the American South, and before Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech. It was sung with rejoicing in South Africa when Nelson Mandela was released from prison and in Germany when the Berlin Wall fell. It was sung to comfort a mourning nation after the attacks on 9-11. The story of Amazing Grace reminds us that the same grace that transformed the life of a slave ship captain nearly three centuries ago can still change lives today. The true story of Amazing Grace is a story that continues. And as long as there are people in need of hope and deliverance, it will have no end. John Newton went from being a slave boat owner to a pastor, to a preacher. He was such a scoundrel that earlier, before this happened, one of his boats, he was in a, in a storm, and he got thrown overboard by a wave, and his crewmates, in order to return him, took a whaling harpoon and threw the whaling harpoon at him and stuck him in the leg and drug him back on boat. That's what his crewmates thought of him. The guy was not a nice guy. He was wicked. He was evil. But he needed God's grace. And when he received it, it changed his life, absolutely transformed him. Listen to what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. We'll go through verse 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That leadership, when you, were, when you were dead in your sins, when I was dead in my sins, when he was dead in his sins, he followed the ways of the world. He followed the, what the King James calls the prince of the power of the air. He was following the enemy. He called himself the great blasphemer. Even though as a kid, he could recite all kinds of scripture, knew all kinds of Christian songs, he knew he was walking away from God. Verse 3, Paul says, all of us. Who, who does that include? That kind of includes all of us, doesn't it? All of us doesn't really leave anybody out. All of us lived among them, lived among those who were walking the ways of the world, at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We deserved God's wrath, each one of us. But 
But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. You didn't have to get cleaned up to follow Jesus. If you're here today, if you're watching us online, and you think, you know, I'd really like to, to go to church, but man, I gotta, I gotta dress up a little bit. I gotta get shaved. I gotta get my hair done. No, 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 no. No, not at all. How many of you have ever been fishing and caught fillets? No, we usually pull in a slimy northern that we got to go, hey, uh, uh, and yet they taste wonderful when they're all cleaned up, right? We'll bring in those slimy fish. Well, that's exactly what God does. You may have not looked at yourself as a slimy fish, but there really wasn't anything good about you. That's what the Bible says. There's no good thing within me. Because of his great love for us, God was rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's even beyond being able to imagine for me. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us, in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. It's not from works so that no one can boast. There is nothing you or I can do to receive God's grace. We cannot do it. Nothing, absolutely nothing, except receive it. Verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you will recall the last time we were in Ephesians, we talked about the fact that Paul was preaching to the church. So even here he's preaching to the church. They were Christians. They were maybe nominal Christians, kind of walking on the edge. And Paul's saying, you know what? It's time to grow up. It's time for us to recognize what God has done in us and through us. If you will remember, Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15 that the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our understanding would be open. How many of you have spent time praying for somebody, hoping for somebody, trying to fix a situation that they're in, and you just it's like you're just banging your head against the wall? It's like no matter what I do, no matter where I go, they don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get God. Why don't they get it? And it, verse 15 is why. Because the eyes of their heart are closed. We need to pray that God would open the eyes of their heart. I'll tell you what, folks. I've read Ephesians multiple times. It is my favorite book. I've probably read that book of Scripture a hundred plus times in my life. And when we talked about it a month ago, a month and a half ago, we talked about God opening the eyes of our heart. The eyes of my heart were open. It's changed the way I pray for people. It's changed the way I think about people. It takes away all judgment. It takes away all fear because I understand that Raymond's not doing all this garbage in his life just because Raymond wants to do this garbage in his life. His eyes, the eyes of his heart are closed. I need to pray that God would open the eyes of his heart. You're all looking like, what did Raymond do? <laughs> he just happens to be sitting up front and I remembered his name. <clears throat> so many times we want to fix people's situations and the reality is you and I can't fix anybody what we can do is we begin to pray God open the eyes of their heart 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 help them to see help them to see help them to see God Paul after pointing out how dark our past has been he writes but God 
being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses has made us alive. Alive together in Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. In this passage, Paul talks about that amazing grace. He took us from one extreme to another through his grace. It wasn't about anything that I did. It wasn't anything about what you did. It's not that there's anything good in me. It's not because I went to church. It's not because I gave money. It's not because I've gone on mission trips. It doesn't have anything to do with it. That transformation happens because of his grace. And he takes us from extreme to extreme. Think about extremes for just a minute. What are some extremes that you can think of? Participation time. What are some extremes you can think of? Bungee jumping? Well, that's kind of extreme. Bungee jumping or staying on the bridge? Somebody said something. 40 below, and okay, I was in, I was in, uh, in um, uh, Florida several years ago. Uh, it was cold. It was January. It was about 60. In Florida, that's cons- it was a cold 60. It, was a, it wasn't really warm. We're sitting at the table, and I'm talking to a bunch of guys, and I decided, well, you know, it's getting on that time. I need to give my wife a call. So I went, got on the phone, called my wife. I think, I'm not even sure if we had cell phones then, Barry. It was a while ago. I called my wife and uh, went back to the table afterwards. The guy said, well, how's it going at home? I said, oh, it's good. A little chillier than it is here. Well, what, how cold is it? I said, well, it's about 40 below. And the guy looked at me, and he said, 40 below What? Like, it's 40 below zero. It's like, no, it isn't. I'm like, yeah, it is. No, 40 below what? It can't be 40 below zero. You can't live at 40 below zero. I'm like, that's why I'm here in Florida. <laughs> it was a 100-degree temperature difference, and we thought we were cold in Florida. We don't usually appreciate one extreme until we've seen the other. But God takes us from one extreme to another. And when we do that, we kind of appreciate where we were at. Wet and dry, slow and fast, big and small. Here Paul talks about the ultimate extreme. There's nothing more extreme than what he's talking about here because he's talking about life and death, right? What's more extreme than life and death? Good answer, nothing. There's nothing more extreme than that. In fact, it is so extreme, think about this, life and death is so extreme that when you see somebody who has died and is in a casket, when their spirit is gone, it's so extreme, extreme, you walk up and you go, it doesn't even look like them, right? How many, if, you know what, if this whole God thing is wrong, if this is all just a bunch of mumbo jumbo, if there's really no heaven or hell, if there's really no spirit, if this is just all that, then somebody should be able to die and you should be able to look at them and go, boy, I'm not sure that they're dead or alive, right? But if you've ever seen somebody who's dead, there's not really a question, right? You see dead, you go, that doesn't look like the same person at all. You know why? It's because their life is gone. That sounds silly. Think about it for a minute. That life, their spirit is gone. Today's passage talks about these extremes between life and death. But this passage is a little bit different. Normally, we have life and then we have death. 
right? Not too often, though, have we, had, have we experienced death and then life. We see life to death. We see somebody who's living, and then they die, and we go, whoa, there's a change. But here Paul's talking about being dead and coming to life. Do you know before you accept Christ, you're a dead man walking. You're dead. Your deeds are dead. I'm going to give you the best example that I know of this. There's a man in this congregation. I didn't ask for permission. So forgive me, Keith, if you don't, if this upsets you. The first time I met Keith, we were standing in that, in that nursery back there. We're standing in the nursery, and he was not happy. He didn't want to be here. He was in bibs. He was helping Diane do some window tinting, and he was clearly not happy being here. Every answer was just short and gruff. Hadn't ever been to church here. And then after a fashion, a few weeks... He attended church here. We went through a whole service. I didn't talk to him, didn't, and nothing. That afternoon, I left here. No, it was a couple days later. A couple days later, I left here, and I went to Walmart. And I get up to Walmart, and all of a sudden, some guy comes running. Had the same bibs on that he had a week before. Comes up, and shakes my house, and going, Pastor, it's good to see you. And I'm like, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? I didn't say it out loud. Who is it? Hey, Keith, how's it going? Almost couldn't recognize him because something changed he came to life inside there was a hope there was a newness there was a freshness there's something that happened inside and Paul is talking about that he said you used to be dead in your sins and now you're alive and you need to recognize that because that is God's amazing grace I come back to this. You say, well, we're Christians. Most of us are here. We already know that. I come back to that because we need to appreciate that. Do you appreciate? Have you, have you recognized? You know what, God? I really was a wretch. I really was lost. Because until we recognize that, we'll never see the potential that God has for us. Verse 10 here says that God has planned, has something planned for you already. I believe before the very foundation of time. God knew your name. He knew exactly what he had planned for your life. He wants to walk with you step by step. He wants to take you in places you can never imagine. But if we don't recognize the fact that we were once dead, we really were a wretch. There really was nothing good in us. As a matter of fact, short of Jesus Christ, there still is nothing good in us. If there's any good to be found at all, it comes from him. We talked in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul speaks about these spiritual blessings. He talked about the inheritance that we have in Christ. That's what we read about recently, just a month or so ago, we were reading through that. If you've not grabbed a hold of those spiritual blessings that you get to walk in right now, you need to go back to chapter 1, and you need to post that on a mirror, write it out. In, in a matter of 15 verses, there's 18 blessings that we have. In him we have life, we have hope, we have freedom, we have peace, we have joy, we have unexplainable joy. There's all kinds of things that we have in Christ that you need to grab a hold of and I need to grab a hold of. We need to let that come alive in us. Folks, you are the hope of the world. I say this all the time. The church is the hope of the world. The church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. You have neighbors that are still lost and are still dead. They're alive, but they're dead. They're walking around, but their spirit man's dead. They don't have hope. They don't have peace. They don't have joy. 
They got life. Have you looked in the mirror lately? Have you, have you seen what's going on in the news? Have you seen what's going on in the world? Are you kidding me? We should be happy about You don't need to worry about what's going on in the world. We've got a newness of life. This is where I start to dance for those of you who don't know me. This, there's, we've got peace. We've got joy. We've got life. I hope that we have been appreciating. I hope that you'll go back and you'll grab a hold of that passage of Scripture in Ephesians. I hope you grab hold of God's Word and start reading it and eating it. Let it get inside of you. Let it change you and transform you. Ephesians chapter 1. We should be praising God for all the things that He's done in our life. To really understand those blessings, we need to understand where we've come from. We need to understand the depths from which God has lifted us. Even if you were a pretty decent person, I used to think of myself, you know, I'm not so bad. Sure, I smoke a little too much and I drink a little too much. I probably smoke a little too much pot. But basically, I'm a good guy. Basically, I was going to hell because there's nothing good within me. I need to recognize that. I need to recognize that that's depravity where we've come from. There is nothing that we will ever experience that's more lifeless than death. That sounds stupid, doesn't it? Think about it. Think about it. There's nothing that we will ever experience that is more lifeless than death. And if you've not experienced Jesus Christ... If you've not accepted that life, if you've not left the kingdom of darkness and entered into the kingdom of light, all the life that you try to pour into that is still death. Right? Again, sounds pretty simple. You're like, Pastor, you're wasting an hour and a half of my time to tell me there's nothing more deader than dead. But we walk in that. We have walked in that. And we try to fill that life up. Ephesians 2, I'm going to say it again. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live in when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. That spirit of death is still ruling and reigning in people who are disobedient and not walking in the life of Christ. It's still there. God, the, the enemy tries to make it look like fun. We try to make it look like fun. I was at a wedding dance last night. You know, I left a little early. About 20 minutes after Dave Seberg, I had to follow my man out the door. You know, there were times when that was just a great time to go out and get drunk, but guess what happened? I'd wake up Sunday morning not feeling so swift. Right? You know how much better it is to wake up on a Sunday morning after being at a wedding dance and go, thank you, Jesus. I remember, I got all my clothes and I remember where I was and I remember everything about tonight. I didn't lose anything. I didn't leave anything behind. I got my shoes. I got my jacket. I knew exactly. There's life in that, right? Oh, amen, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. There's life in that, folks. You can pour all kinds of stuff on dead and it's still dead. There's some observations here. And I'm just going to point these out. There's several of them. We're just going to do one today. Verse 1 makes absolutely no bones about the fact that we were dead in our sin. Here, I'm going to give you the history on this. 
God told Adam, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there's only one tree in the garden I don't want you to. You can eat from any tree that you want to. This one I don't want you to eat from. The day that you eat from it, you're going to die. Adam and Eve decided, that's the tree we should eat from. So they ate from it. Did they die? Their spirit died, didn't it? Oh, I got something I want you to think about for just a second. Remember I told you when you see a body in a casket, how much different they look because their spirit's gone? Right? Ever thought about this? Can you imagine how much different we looked before Adam died spiritually? When that life comes back in us, when we accept Christ, we almost don't look anything like we used to. That's good. That'll preach. That's good. I'm telling you, that's good. If you don't get anything else out of this, you don't get anything else. I got up and preached one day in Hibbing, and while I'm just before the preaching start, I saw this couple walk in the back of church. I happened to have graduated with them. They lived right next to my pastor. That afternoon, my pastor was outside putzing around in his backyard, and the couple came over to him and said, uh, <clears throat> hey, we were in church this morning. And he's like, yeah, I saw that. Uh, that guy that you had preaching this morning? He's like, yeah, Tim. We used to know him. That is not the same guy that we used to know. Hallelujah! Right? When our spirit man comes alive, Paul says, I don't want you to even understand. You, you were dead. You were dead. No questions about it. Understand this. No qualms. No. You were before Jesus Christ, you were dead. You're dead. There's no life in you. There's no hope. Adam didn't drop dead right on the spot, but he was separated from God. His fellowship with God was broken. It was destroyed because of disobedience. Take it to the personal level. Just take this on a personal level. Have you ever offended, had a friend, and you've just gotten in such a, a row with them that you end up separated? You, your disobedience has caused a break in fellowship. It bites when that happens. You can have a friend that's been a friend for life. I know, I know people, honest to goodness, who have not spoken to their parents in 30 years because of some kind of sin. I would say, get over it and ask somebody to forgive you. Well, they're the one who did it. Ask them to forgive you anyhow. Unforgiveness, disobedience, sin separates. So we have that initial sin that Adam does and that separates him from God. It separates all of us from God. And the result of that is then we commit sins. There's the sin nature that we have because of Adam's disobedience and that just causes us to, to commit sin. It, it gives us license to, if you will. You say, well, well what do you mean? commit sin. The result of that sin nature is wrongdoing. It's not keeping God's laws. It's not keeping God's ethics. It's not keeping his morals. All the instructions that we get in the word of God, we, we, we push against them. You say, well, I haven't murdered anybody or I haven't committed adultery or I haven't stolen anything or I, I certainly wasn't a slave trader. Well, here's the problem. 
Here's the problem. If we're trying to justify ourselves and our good works, but we're not doing it based on God's word, then we got the wrong standard. I can use Leroy for a standard. I can use him for a standard. I haven't done the things that he's done. I mean, I drank a little too much, but I didn't drink as much as he did. I, I smoked some. I didn't smoke what he smoked. They told me to I'm, do it. They, yeah, they told yeah. you to do it. So, so see, I'm, I'm more righteous than he is because I didn't do all the junk that he did, right? Oh, almost had you. Almost had you. I love, you. The Lord I love you. But yeah, but then Jesus comes and he yeah. changes you, right? Listen, we get the wrong standard. We get the wrong, you want, to go, you want to go against God's standard? You want to see how your righteousness lines up against God's standard? Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice. Let's just start with that. Let's just start with bitterness. You got any bitterness in your heart towards anybody? Just a little bit. Any rage? What about any anger? Because according to what God's word says, you're in broken fellowship. That's sin. Here in Ephesians, Ephesians 5, verse 3, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Just that little list. You got any of those things in there? Because if you do, then you're not God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking or out of place, uh, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person, such a man is an idolater, and he has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes upon those who are disobedient. God's standard is so much higher than ours. Matthew, in the book of Matthew, Jesus said, You have heard it said uh, to people long ago, Do not murder. Anyone who murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother. You're like, well, I didn't kill anybody. You been angry? Same thing. Same thing. Here's the one I think that nails most of us. Matthew 5, 27, sorry, but you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. 99.9997 men in this room failed just because at some point we've done that. Not saying it's happening right now, but I'm telling you, it's happened. We failed. That means we're dead, right? That means we can't inherit God's kingdom. That means we're sin and we're separated from God except for that amazing grace that brings life. It's that amazing grace. It's God grabbing you right where you're at, right in the middle of the depth of the depravity, whatever it is, and saying, I'm going to pick you up right from here, son. I want, I want to grab you right here and bring you into the kingdom. I want to take you from the kingdom of dark and put you into the kingdom of light. God does that. He does that. That's what we need to recognize His standard is perfection, and every one of us falls short. Every one of us. Every one of us. I don't care how good you are. Before I was a Christian, sure, I lived, and I breathed, and I did things, but spiritually, I was dead. Spiritually, I was separated from God. 
And here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that. The problem is, if you walk around too long spiritually dead, and then you physically die, then you're really dead. Then that separation from God is not some kind of temporary thing that you're going to come back from. The Bible says it's appointed unto man to die once, and then the judgment. We will be brought back to life after we die so that we can be judged for what we did. Heaven or hell, right or wrong, where are we at? Do we have the grace of Jesus Christ or don't we? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about amazing grace. And here's the deal. That transformation, that new life, it doesn't come because we've done something good. But once God takes you out of that kingdom of darkness and he puts you into that kingdom of light, all of a sudden good things start to happen behind you because you're serving him. It's not going to get you into heaven. That isn't going to be it. But all of a sudden you want to do those things because he paid the price for me. I I owe it to him. I I just want to do that. I want to walk in that light and that life. So Paul really means it when he says we were dead in our sins. We really were. And if you don't trust Christ, if you've not asked him to become your Lord and Savior, if you haven't believed on him, trusted him, put your life in, then you're still dead. And if you become physically dead, then it's a real deal, folks. Because if that's the case, then we actually die deserving the wrath of God. Amazing grace. He made us alive when we were walking in the depth of our sin. If that doesn't make you sing amazing grace, nothing will. He didn't do it when we got good enough. He didn't do it when we turned from our wicked ways. He didn't do it when we turned a new leaf. He didn't do it when we proved ourselves. Think about, just think about this with your kids. Think about it with your family. Think about it with your friends. How many times have you said, well, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. We'll see. We had a guy in Hibbing who had diabetes really bad and he lost his leg. This ends up being kind of funny. He lost his leg and, uh, and he had a prosthetic leg. And it happened actually a couple of times. One time he was working in the office, he was turning back and forth and somehow he unratcheted his leg and he didn't know it. And he got up to Walmart with his wife and his wife gives, says, you know, I got to run over here and do something, would you hold my purse? And so he grabs her purse and he's headed for Subway and he turns and his leg goes flying off. And he falls down in her purse, and everything in a woman's purse is all spread across Walmart. And he's laying on the ground crying because he broke his elbow, but laughing because it's so stinking funny. And his daughter tells me about a week later, you know, this whole thing with dad coming to church, and, and you know, you know, he's starting to be all goody-goody. Well, we've seen that before. Us kids, we're just waiting for the other shoe to fall. <laughs> that happened last week at Walmart. <laughs> The shoe fell. The whole leg went with it. That's a funny thing. He changed his life. So, okay, you weren't there. It was funny. That was, you had to be there, but it was funny. Waiting for his other foot to fall. It just did about a week ago. God wants to change our life. Amazing grace. How sweet to say. You were dead in your trans, trans, sins and your trespasses, your transgressions. You were dead in that. But Christ brings us to new life. In the middle of our sin is the place where we find 
grace. Don't wait to get cleaned up. Don't wait. If you're watching us online, if you're saying, you know what, I just got to get better. You don't got to get better. What you've got to do is reach out and get grace because that's where God changes us. If you're here, you're saying, you know what, I just got to get better. You don't have to get better. And God will clean you up. Don't worry about it. He'll clean you up as time goes on. He'll change some of those habits. He took smoking away from me. He took drugs away from me. He took alcohol away. He does that stuff. That's what he, he's an expert at that. He'll deliver you from those things. You don't have to worry about getting rid of all that stuff. Get right with Christ first. Here's the deal. Paul talks about experiencing God's power. A power that's so powerful that it raised Christ from the dead. A power that's so powerful that you and I have been brought from death into life as soon as we've accepted Jesus. I want to tell you, there is no government on the face of the planet. There is no organization. There is no Bill Gates. There is no Facebook. There is no Microsoft. There is no U.S. court. There is no China. There is nobody can bring us back to life except the blood of Jesus Christ. Nobody. It's the only way it happens. It's the only way it happens. We're going to close today. It's kind of like our men's group. We really just got through verse 1. We'll come back next week and we're going to hit Ephesians 2 again. We're going to hit a few more of these verses. But I want to tell you, if you've not made a commitment to Jesus Christ and let him take you from death unto life, there's no day like today. Man, there's no day like today. Today is the time to do it. If you have done that, then I want to tell you something. We need to go back and we need to appreciate every bit what God has done in our life. He wants to take you to a different place but he's going to do it when we recognize what he's already done. Amen? God, I thank you for each person here today. I thank you for each person who's watching us online. I thank you, God, that you minister life through your word. As a matter of fact, your word says of itself that your word will not go and return unto you void. It goes out and it accomplishes what it was set forth to do. You want to change a person's heart, you want to change a person's life through your word, you do that. Your word doesn't return unto you void. I pray, God, that, that today... Even if the, the words that I, I spoke, your word, God, as it went out, it would at least go out and be seed. It would cause us to think. It would cause us to, to ponder. It would cause us to meditate maybe a little bit on the change that we have in our life, the change that we need in our life. Lord, for those of us who believe, I pray we would take very seriously the fact that you have brought us from death to life, and now we need to do something about that. You're going to hold us accountable someday for what we did with that life. Bless this congregation today. Bless those who are watching us online. Continue to transform our life, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen? God bless you. Have yourselves a great Sunday.